Well, hello, welcome. Thank you, Craig and All right, yeah. Thank you. It's gonna be hard to follow up Craig and Jason, but thank you guys so much. I appreciate all the info. That was awesome. Um, welcome to the gathering. My name is Oakley, and we're happy to have you here. Uh, we're just diving right back in. So our series last couple of weeks has been God is something. We've gone through kind of different characteristics of God, debunked some lies, and really talked about what is God's true character uh, and who is God, this God that we follow. And so tonight, to start off our time together, I kind of want to pose this question or this thought to you guys in the room. I'm not going to make you out yourselves last week like Andy with the driving. So I remember all of you that were bad drivers. I'm steering clear of you on the roads. But this week, the question I'm going to pose to all of you guys is, has there ever been a time when you've done something that you regretted, that you felt like was silly or dumb, uh, that you wish you hadn't done, and then kind of wish you could go back and do something differently, but you're left to pick up the pieces and kind of face the consequences of those actions. Now, for a lot of us in this room, that can cause us to experience an array of emotions hearing that. I mean, maybe it's you're remembering you Peter Pants in the second grade and that like has still stuck with you. And yes, that's serious and that's hard and the worst, but maybe it's also like something very serious and, and hard as you like come into your young adult years and um, so I don't wanna discredit that either. But there were a couple things that came to my mind when I was thinking of that for myself personally. Um, and one of the first, oh my gosh, one of the first thoughts I thought of when I posed this question to myself, uh, it actually was a, a, a clip, a scene from a movie. Uh, maybe you guys have heard of it, maybe you haven't. Dumb and Dumber, anyone in the room? I cannot, I mean, in a million years, I never thought I'd be up here like, talking about Dumb and Dumber, let alone we're gonna play a clip from Dumb and Dumber. So uh, buckle in. And there is a clip in that movie where if you don't know the story, it's okay. I mean, I don't think I can encourage you from stage to watch it, but you should watch it because it's really good. Um, it's hilarious and it's awful and all the things. But there's two guys in this movie. There's Harry and there's Lloyd and they're friends and they have decided they're gonna take a trip to Aspen, Colorado. So Lloyd is driving them in this like big dog van. I think we have a picture just in case you have never seen this movie. This big dog, yes, there it is. This big giant dog van, right? So it's absolutely ridiculous. And they're driving to Aspen, Colorado. And at some point, Harry falls asleep and Lloyd is driving and he takes a turn in the wrong direction. And then they end up driving for like 400 miles in the wrong direction. And so Harry wakes up and I mean, calls Lloyd every name in the, boy, the book. Like, you're dumb, you're an idiot. I mean, I cannot believe you have driven us this far in the wrong direction. And basically he's like, we have no money for food. We have no money to get back. We have no money to get to Aspen. Like I'm throwing the talent. I'm done. And so gets out of the car and basically just starts like walking home as if he's going to just be able to walk all those miles and like hitchhike on the road. And so scene ends, Harry is walking away. Lloyd is like left to kind of pick up the pieces of something that he's done that I'm sure he regrets. So if you'll tune in, we're going to watch the scene that happens right after this scene ends. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town. Traded the van for it straight up. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. 
You know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> So glad we're all here for that. Uh, so, I mean, that's hilarious and it's funny and there's redemption. And redemption in this story basically is, okay, he's traded the van in, their dog van for obviously this motorbike and they're gonna take this to Aspen and finish their trip and obviously a lot more happens in that story. But that was, I mean, ironically and to my detriment, one of the first things I thought of when I was thinking about things that were regrettable. Uh, but then when I think about my own life, I mean, to kind of just bring us in and uh, bring us kind of back into the intro, what we're gonna talk about tonight uh, and get a little more serious. There have been a lot of times uh, I can look back and be like, gosh, I wish I had done something different. Uh, so I would have less regrets and I, I, I could have uh, faced different consequences. And one of those times I remember very distinctly because it has stuck with me to this day. And it was actually the summer between my freshman year of college and going into sophomore year. So end of summer, going into sophomore year of college. And I had actually that summer just gotten back from three months I had spent in Africa, living there at a women's home. I was a tutor and a Bible teacher and all the things with these women that were living there. And it was awesome. Absolutely loved my time there, life transforming. But I got back and I remember it was like the week or so before school. Um, and I was in a sorority, my pledge class was kind of throwing a party just for the girls in our class. And we're all getting together to celebrate end of summer uh, and then get ready to start the school year. And that was a night where, I don't know, I mean, it just, I showed up and it kind of was like all of my, my morals and what I knew to be right and wrong was thrown out the window and ended up engaging in the party in a way that left me very intoxicated and not of sober mind um, and not living my best moments, like not, not making the best decisions. And I remember being in this party with all the girls that were around me and there was one girl in particular and she kind of gathered everyone into the living room at some point in the night. And I was sitting there on the couch and she gathered everyone in. And I remember that she pointed directly at me and was like, hey everyone, the room like hushes to listen to what she's gonna say. Hey everyone, look, even missionary girl can hang. And everyone starts cheering and clapping and passing around the alcohol. And I mean, to them, it was like no big deal. Like, yeah, she can hang, whoa. But I remember in that moment being stopped dead in my tracks. I mean, I've never sobered up more quickly. And that comment hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I am sitting there and I'm professing one thing and they knew where I was the whole summer. They knew what I believed in. I mean, I had spent a year with these girls. They had gotten to know me. And yet I had come back and I had not looked any different than those girls, than anyone in the room. Uh, and I, I felt terrible. I mean, it just, like I said, was super weighty and obviously still impacts me to this day. Uh, it was just one of those moments that really sticks out. And I'm sure that girl doesn't even remember saying that to me, but I'll never forget those words. And I'm, I'm sure most of us in this room, if it's not that, that's your story. Um, there's other things that you can look back on in your life and wish that you had done differently. And really our world um, and the enemy that is a part of this world wants us to believe that we are defined, we are marked by the worst moments in our life, by the things that we have done that we're not proud of, by the sins that we've walked in, he wants us to be reminded of that constantly so that we are confined to this image of what we've done and, and how we've walked and the sins that we've entertained. Our world wants to accuse us based on everything that we've done 
that weren't our best moments. And what I wanna talk about tonight is this idea that yes, we've all messed up. Yes, we all have moments that are regrettable, but we serve a God that doesn't let us sit in our sin and be defined by that for the rest of our life, but we serve a God that has come to redeem, has come to save, and has come to make us marked by something bigger than ourselves. So tonight, the, the kind of the, the God is that we're gonna talk about tonight is God is redeemer. God is redeemer. What is this idea? What does redeemer even mean? Well, it's this idea that there was once something that something or someone had possession of, and then now it's lost. And so I've gotta go and regain possession of this something. I've gotta go and win it back. There's a pursuit there. I mean, when I think of redemption, this is a silly example, but when I was in the fourth grade, I had two hermit crabs. My mom got them for me for my birthday. Uh, and I don't know if that was like a thing for you guys, but in grade school, it was like everyone had hermit crabs. And I think they had the lifespan of a year. So like no one has them now, but everyone had hermit crabs. I really wanted them. I got them for my birthday. And I remember playing with them one afternoon, as you can with crabs, and I set them on the floor to just, I guess, look at them. And I go to the bathroom. I went and got a snack. At some point I like watched an episode of my show. And then I came back in there and they were completely gone. Like not where I had left them on the floor of my bedroom. And so it was a terrifying conversation to have to come to my mom and be like, by the way, they're not in my room and I don't know where they are, probably in the house. And so we, I mean, searched everywhere for these two crabs all day long. Like the rest of the afternoon, it was, I've got to search for these crabs and find them. They were mine, they are lost, I've got to find them. Uh, unfortunately, we did not find them that day, but I, I will say, silver lining to the story, if you will, uh, that night at like 1 a.m., my mom wakes up to the sound of like the ticking in the kitchen as their little claws are like going to get their midnight snack. And so went and grabbed them and like threw them back in the cage and they lived to see another day and then they had like maybe 20 more days and then they were dead. But the idea of that is, I mean, that's a silly example, yes, but there were these things that I had and then they were lost and I had to regain possession of. And on a much bigger level, is that not the way that God views us? That at one point in time, we had this perfect right relationship with God. And then because sin entered into the picture, there is now this chasm between us and God that we could not pass on our own, that nothing we could do could make us right before God's eyes. And so God says, I've got to pursue you. I'm going to come find you and I'm going to redeem you and regain you as my children back to what once was. Our God now can look at us and say that he identifies us by our greatest moment, which is our redemption in him. If we are to receive that redemption, that is what we're identified as in God's eyes. Romans 6, I mean, if there is any verse that can lay out the gospel so perfectly, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We are destined for death. And yet the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus and Jesus perfectly redeemed us as his people perfectly bought back once was our, what was once already God's. And that is us so we can have relationship with him. So tonight, like I said, we're exploring this idea of God being a redeemer. And we're gonna look at the redemption story told throughout scripture. Again, what a timely week to get to go through this as we're preparing for Easter. We're gonna look at that story. Um, but first, before we kind of jump into Jesus coming onto the scene, we really have to acknowledge our own hopelessness and our own depravity to fully be able to feel the weight of the free gift of salvation. So three points tonight. Um, and then the first is this, 
we could not save ourselves. We could not save ourselves. There was a deep problem between man and his maker from the very beginning of time. Like I said, sin enters in and there's this huge gap between us now. And so there's a deep, deep problem. Romans 3, 10 through 12 reminds us of this problem where it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Isn't this message, I just wanna acknowledge, a little bit different than some of the messages we're hearing from our world today. Do what you enjoy, go be your best self. You are enough. And I, I mean, it's, it sounds nice and I wanna hear that because I wanna believe that. But if I look at this and I'm gonna choose to believe that scripture's truth, it shows me here that I'm not enough. You are not enough. You're not good. You're not righteous. You don't even seek righteousness or goodness. Everything in us is not enough and not good. On our own, we could never be enough to stand before a perfect and holy God because we are broken by sin. And we don't like this. It is a very offensive thought. It like rubs me wrong when I hear that because I'm just, I'm this people pleaser at heart. I'm like, I wanna succeed, I wanna do well. And so I wanna be able to have some answer. I'm like, I can do this. And then this produces this response and then I'll be okay. But on my own, that will just never be the case. Sin is rebellion. Rebellion is opposition to the things of God. God, it's not like we're even walking the same path God is walking. God is walking towards goodness and holiness and we have turned the exact opposite direction and to walk in rebellion. And that path leads to one place and that's death. It's hopelessness. Anything opposite from the Lord is exactly that. We were born with these hearts that are rebellious. I think back to my kindergarten years, uh, rebellion for me in, uh, as I was a four-year-old looked like I let the boy that I was in love with had this biggest crush on uh, that sat behind me in school cut my hair. I don't, I don't really know. This is a true story. I don't know why I did this. He wanted to cut my hair for whatever reason. And I was like, yes, we're in love. We're gonna get married someday. This is what love looks like. And so I let him just cut chunks of my hair and then I put them in my desk. And the janitor found them and called my mom, who to her surprise, I was like, yes, lifted my hair up. I was like, he's been cutting it, we're in love. She's like, no, that's not it. And you can't do that anymore. So I don't know, weird kids, maybe some psychological things there. We can dig into that later. But that was like, four-year-old rebellion. I mean, no one had to teach me that, that that was like not a good thing to do and I still did it. Uh, in grade school, my rebellion was uh, me against my parents' wishes, creating a secret Facebook account. Um, I skipped the MySpace phase. I, was, I was never allowed to have a MySpace and so for me, it was Facebook. Uh, had to be sneaky with it. I know, very scandalous. But I remember my parents distinctly telling me, don't create a Facebook and I did. Thankfully, that Facebook is deleted at this point because it probably have a lot of pictures of what I'm about to talk about next, which was middle school rebellion. Uh, looked a lot more like dark eyeliner and a lot of purple eyeshadow. Maybe we'll resurrect those someday, um, but hopefully they just stay long, long, far away. Um, but you get the picture. Like we are born, we are born with hearts that are innately rebellious. Except with this sin, it can't just be removed by the makeup remover towel or the stern talking to. It's infected us from the inside out. It's left us without something that we can do on our own. I mean, when we turned away from God, 
This wasn't a disease that could be cured by willpower or knowledge or just being good enough. We were completely and wholly depraved. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Well, without a redeemer, we might be able to convince ourselves that we're okay on our best days. I think the way we really do that in the church uh, is through comparison. So we can look at the next person that's around us and see that they're walking through something that is a whole heck of a lot worse than what I'm walking through. And so at least I'm not them. At least I'm not doing that. At least like I'm a little better and a little more clean. And maybe I can even come alongside of them and help them as they're navigating their sin to make me feel like a better person about the things that I'm doing, maybe in the dark. Sin is leveled on an even playing field and we'll never be able to compare enough to justify the sin that we're walked into, that we've walked into. No one is righteous, no, not one. The good news is that scripture does not stop there. God is our redeemer. We saw that earlier, God is our redeemer and he provides a way for us to be saved. So while we could not save ourselves, point number two is this, that God sent his son to redeem. Remember, we talked about redemption, claiming back something that once was his because he loved us and cared for us, made a way for us to be redeemed back to himself. Ephesians 1, seven through nine lays this out perfectly. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Jesus came and he fulfilled God's redemption plan perfectly for all of God's people. And what we see here in these verses is that according to grace, which if you don't know exactly what grace is, grace is a gift of something that we did not deserve. We did nothing to earn this. So according to grace, not our own good works, not our own merit, we have A, redemption through his blood, being fully redeemed, and then B, forgiveness of our sins. Romans 8.1, our slate is wiped clean. There's no condemnation for those who call on the name of Jesus. We are made holy right before God. Because God is holy and because he is loving, because he's merciful and God's personal, he acted on our behalf to pay the price and bring us back to himself. He came to us and he was with us to pay this price that we could never pay on our own. This gospel is not work hard enough and you're gonna get the promotion or look good enough uh, and be likable enough to get the relationship. It's not be funny enough and earn someone's affection or cover up insecurities and your own fears and maybe you can be valued and accepted. No, this gospel is so much better and so different than anything this world has to offer. It is this that God came to us and came to be with us. He saw us in our guilt and our shame and our ugliness and picked us up out of the pit, looked at us in love and set our feet in secure places. Our sin is not too big for God's redemption. We cannot out the power of the cross. We cannot outsend the power. Nothing that we do is too big for the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are never past the point of being saved. God consistently looks at us and says, even though you keep running away, even though in your heart you have this desire to rebel. I mean, I love 
the song with the lyrics that says, God, bind my wandering heart to thee because everything in me wants to rebel against you. Bind my heart to thee, God. And God says, yes, I will. I desire you. I'm gonna make a way for you to come and be with me and have relationship with me. This was God's redemption plan all along to send his son to die on a cross so that we could be redeemed. God is a God of redemption. And if you weren't here on Sunday, uh, one of the things, or if you were, uh, one of the things that a pastor on staff that spoke, his name's Terry, put it this way. Jesus, dying on the cross, looks at this situation as if to say, this is going exactly as we planned it. This is going exactly as we planned it. And what does that mean? That means that from the very beginning, God's plan was to have Jesus come and be on the cross. Nothing was out of his control. He chose to come and be the sacrifice for us. And it was going exactly as planned. All the way back in the Old Testament, we see a prophecy of how God will redeem his people. Isaiah 44, 22 says, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. If you'll notice that verse doesn't say, because you were all right and good enough for X amount of time, then I chose to come and give you a little grace, cut you some slack. I know living on earth's hard. No, it's regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, I've come. I've completely washed away your sins. Return to me for I've redeemed you. For the believer in the room, when God looks at you, all he sees is Jesus. No longer the things that you've walked in, no longer the sins that you've committed. He sees the blood of Christ that's washed over you. And now you are made holy and righteous and perfect before a holy and righteous and perfect God. What a beautiful gospel. God is redeemer and he sent his son to make a way. Nothing else is needed. This sacrifice was perfect because he sacrificed himself. So we couldn't do it on our own. God sent his son to redeem us. The most beautiful redemption story in all of eternity. The most important message in all of scripture. You hear one thing tonight, you hear that God redeems you through his son, Jesus. The most important message to all of scripture. And then a promise that we have, and what is our third and final point for tonight, is that it is finished. It is finished. The power and love of God is demonstrated most clearly on the cross. God's care for his people is demonstrated most clearly on the cross. God's hatred for sin is seen most clearly on the cross. And the biggest price ever that was paid is seen most clearly on the cross. God became vulnerable. God sacrificed himself completely. And he did so at the expense of never being loved in return. You and I do not have that capacity. We love, but there's always some string attached. There's always something, even if we wouldn't admit it, that we need to get in return. I mean, that's how we are. We're just selfish people. And God loved us. He initiated love for us, knowing that some people would still look and spit in his face and turn away. Jesus did not have to come and die. Hear me say that one more time. 
Jesus did not have to come and die, but Jesus chose to come and die. No one took Jesus' life from him. No one forced his hand to go to the cross. He chose that because he knew that even in his death, we would be made right. Even in his death, as people are putting him on the cross, he prays that they would come to know him and see that he is the son of God. Jesus chose to come and to die. And inside all of us, there is this need and desire for redemption that is only met by God's willingness and his longing to redeem us. Our need and desire to be redeemed is only met by God's willingness and his longingness to redeem us through the blood shed on the cross. I wanna read Jesus' final words as he's about to take his last breath. He's experienced so much agony, so much pain, so much abuse. And picking up in John 19, 29 through 30, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine with a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus paid the hefty price by dying on the cross for you and me. And we were the ones that were actually guilty. We were the ones that should have been up there instead of him. As you know, this week is an important week. It's a special week because it's a somber reminder of the death that Jesus paid for us and he endured for us. But what you also know is that it doesn't just stop on Friday, that after three days, our savior rose from the dead. Death could not defeat him. Death could not hold him. And because of this, we now have a hope and a security that he has come down, died for our sins, risen and defeated death, looked the enemy straight in the face, reminded him of his place. And now we have that same hope living inside of us that death will not be the end of our story. Death does not, is not the end of the story for those that put their faith in Jesus Christ. We're actually reminded of this, John 5, 24, where it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And that is why we celebrate Easter. That's exactly why it's called Good Friday is because there are amazing implications. Even looking at this verse, all we have to do to receive this gift of salvation is hear Jesus' word and believe in the one who sent him. And then we are promised that death does not have the final say. Gosh, if you are, the first, if you are in this room and hearing this for the very first time and have been walking around hopeless and alone with questions and concerns and doubts, I pray that these words sink in, that Jesus' heart is for no one to perish, but to come to him to receive this gift and to be made right in relationship with him once again. I pray that these words touch your heart. I pray that you can see that God has you here for divine purpose tonight to hear this message and to remember and be reminded and believe that there is a God that loves you, 
And if you were the one, God said that's enough and God still would have sent his son to die for you. There is hope, there is eternal life, there is promise. Our redeemer did die so that we could live and he did so willingly, sacrificing himself completely for you and me, ending the reign that sin had on our lives once and for all. The hope in this is that the gospel message in its most fullest form tells us that we do not have to despair, but have sure and certain hope that one day all tears will be wiped away and replaced with peace, with harmony, with healing for all peoples and all nations. No matter how hopeless it looks, this is the hope that we are reminded of, that our God is a God of redemption. I wanna end tonight with a story that really speaks into just the power of the cross, the weight of the gospel message. Uh, so if you will, uh, this story is actually about a guy named Brennan Manning. He is an author and a speaker. You might've heard of him, you might not have, that's totally great, but uh, has written a couple pretty prominent books. And before he was an author and a speaker and a pastor, um, lived a humble life, was actually in the army for a little bit. And this story is actually about him and then one of his best friends growing up, whose name was Ray. It says that while growing up, his best friend was Ray. The two of them did everything together. They bought a car together as teenagers. They double dated together, went to school together, and so on. They even enlisted in the army together, went to boot camp together, and fought on the front lines together. And one night, while sitting in a foxhole, Brennan was reminiscing about the old days in Brooklyn while Ray listened and ate a chocolate bar. Suddenly, a live grenade came into the foxhole. Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray, but Brennan's life was spared. Years later, Brennan went to go visit with Ray's mother, and they sat late into the night, telling old stories, drinking tea, just getting to talk about their beloved Ray. And at one point in the night, Brennan gets a little quiet and then asks this question to Ray's mother. Do you think that Ray ever actually loved me? And Ray's mother, also quiet, looked at him with a very stern look, pointed her finger in his face and said, what more could he have done for you? And in Brennan's words, he had this epiphany of, I'm standing before the cross. I'm looking at the body of Jesus, the bloody body of Jesus, arms splayed out on the wood, hands and feet nailed, a crown of thorns pushed deep into his head, gasping for his final breaths. And it's as if he looks at the face of God and says, God, do you think that Jesus ever really loved me? Do you think he loved me? And Mary, Jesus' mother, who we know was at the foot of the cross until Jesus, her son, took his last breaths, looked him in the face, put her finger in his face and sternly said, what more could Jesus have done for you? What more could he have done for you? 
The cross of Jesus is God's way of doing everything he could to redeem us back to himself. So the question for us is this, how do we respond to this? What does this mean for our lives today? I wanna leave this thought with you as we enter into our time of 120 seconds. What is God, our Redeemer, inviting you into? Knowing the power of the cross, knowing that he's redeemed you, what is he inviting you into? And how does that change us slowly and steadily from the inside out as we understand the power of this more and fall more in love with the creator that said, even death won't keep me from you. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, thank you so, so much for loving us, a people that are so rebellious in nature. Loving us enough that you sent your son to die a horrific death. It was never too much for you. It was never a question. No matter how many times again and again and again, we mocked you to your face. You never questioned your love for us. Oh my gosh, Lord, hit us in the heart with that tonight, God. That the reality of the power of the cross would sink in, even if it's for the very first time, God, and lives would be transformed because of what you're doing in this room. Help us to really, truly understand your love for us as our Redeemer. God, we are so grateful for you and the only response we have is to give you our lives. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray, amen.